from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Also, those of you that are watching and listening on Facebook Live on Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. All of it inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, available to you for local delivery, no delivery charge for Onondaga County, as well as the mobile cafe that will come to your business or your neighborhood, and there are five cafes sprinkled throughout the beautiful, wonderful Hometown of mine, Syracuse, New York. Make sure you get your DT special pumpkin spice chai today. With that being said, we're at this part of the show where I get to have a friend back on, somebody who has connections back to the city of Syracuse, and someone who's kicking some tail and taking some names out in western Michigan, and that is Tim Lester, the head coach of the Western Michigan Broncos and former offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of Syracuse. Mr. Lester, how are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Dan? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well, sir. First and foremost, let's talk about uh, navigating through the very strange season that is. You know, it's the spring, it's the fall, it's the I don't know. The ACC says we're playing. The SEC joins the Big 12, the American Athletic Conference. Some conferences say we're going and teams say no. Some teams say yes when the conferences say no. Big 10 said no and then said yes. Pac-12 said no and then said yes. And then amidst all of this, there's the Mac that you're inside of. What has this whirlwind of college football this year during Corona been like for a head coach? Well, it's it's been uh, it's been as clear as mud. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I keep telling everybody, wait five minutes and it'll change, and it really does. Well, we've talked about it for years. You know, you live in the moment. You try to have a great day, and and if 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 this world has taught us anything in the last seven months, is it's exactly that. You know, you you do the best you can on that day. You don't know what the next day brings. We were we were on, then we were off, and then we're back on again. And, and uh, it's fun to be back out there again. We're practicing. We're getting ready for our first game here in a couple of weeks. And and, uh, and just try to live in the moment. It's really the only way to get by. If you start trying to think big picture of what's going to happen in two weeks, uh, you know, you're, it's probably going to not be what you think it's going to be. You know, I, I got, I'm normally a guy that's planned, you know, 14, 14 to 16 months out. You know, if you ask me what, what's our football team doing next February 10th, I could probably tell you right now I, I'm working on next week. You know, I'm playing the next week, and uh, and it's working. You know, it's different, but it's working, and, and I'm enjoying it. Just being out on the field with the guys is probably the most fun part. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, this season was on, and then it was off, and now it's back on. Uh, what can you say about, you know, uh, going through all this and navigating this as a coach, thinking, okay, we're going to play in the fall. All right now we're, we're going to play in the spring. Oh, no, wait, we're going to play in the fall again. What does that do for your planning and your scheming and everything that you got to get set? It's so hard to do. And I think the biggest part was, is you know, as, as coaches, as adults, like we, we handle it better than the players. You know, they're in their moment. This is their time. This is their time that they can add value and have the time of their lives. And, and it's been taken away. It's been given. It's been taken away. And, and so I really think now more than ever, you know, your relationship with your players and being able to talk them through the ups and the downs of, of the emotional roller coaster that's that's in front of them right now uh, has really 
you know, benefited us and, and having open and honest conversations through the good ones and the bad ones and, and, you know, guys that are like, you know, ready to go to the league and are they going to play? They don't know if they want to play in the spring and now they're all back playing because we get to play in the fall. So uh, I think those conversations and, and running the program the right way with a relationship with their players has really been beneficial because our guys are, you know, our guys are the first guys that came out with a statement, which I didn't even know they were doing about we want to play. And I think then another team did it, then another team did it. And it kind of forced our athletic directors and um presidents back to the table to talk about it and then and boom we're back on so i give a ton of credit and they've been showing up for about two two and a half weeks now practicing and, and it's been it's felt good the last couple of weeks kind of normal but uh, still on the edge of our seats ready for the next thing to change yeah, coming from tim lester here this morning on wake up call with dan tortora inside of the cafe kubal studios like you said uh, your players were the first to the table to say, hey, we need to change that. We need to do something about this. We want to play. We want to be out there. Uh, what, what can you say to that? That the MAC was so uh, adamant about it and front runners. Uh, obviously, Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, got a lot of credit for putting out his petition directly uh, at the Big Ten that had over two hundred thousand signatures. Uh, what can you say? I mean, we we see how Justin Fields, uh, what that did, and and what and what that brought to it. Uh, knowing that you know in the state of Ohio, obviously, you know the the MAC is is throughout that region and in, in, in the Midwest and whatnot. So, what can you say to obviously what Justin Fields did, but also the fact that, like you said, the MAC was the first to the table to say, "Hey, we want to play. We need to look at this again." Yeah, it made it. It, it was the start itself was funny. I was in a I was at a meeting and I got sent a graphic from one of my seniors, uh, my left guard. He's a four year starter, going to be a doctor, extremely intelligent, and and I thought he was going to send me a, a a graphic with a statement from our team. And I thought it was like, hey, coach, check this out. Like, will you look at this for me? And little did I know, it, it was already out. He was just sending it to me first. Uh, but by the end of the meeting, it was all over social media. And, and uh, a lot of the people on our meeting, our athletic director got it. And it was all happening while we were in an athletic department meeting. And, uh, you know, it was it was well written. It was well thought out. And it, it's important for people to know uh, that they have a voice. You know, and, and uh, you know, nothing had come. I know Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, they had a chance to come out and let everyone know that they're excited and they have faith in their universities and, and the decisions that they make and that we can make it safe and other people are making it safe. And, uh, you know, having – and our, our, we got together. A lot had changed. Testing had changed. Um, you know, so it was good that, that they – they got out in front of it and made their their opinions known of what they wanted to have happen, and, and and the league did a great job of responding. And we had very important meetings with the with the commissioner, and then the players met with the commissioner. And our, I thought our league did a great job of going through the process that everyone had say in, in turning this thing back on. And uh, now we're we're in the midst of it now. So the Mac is back. I had one of my friends say to me, he's like, man. He's like, I miss, I miss like Tuesday nights, you know, like the Mac will play on any day. They'll play on Tuesday, Wednesday, doesn't matter. You know, he was like, I really just miss, miss seeing the Mac. What does that mean to you that there's people out there going, Hey, you know, I, I love, I love that, you know, it's not just Saturdays or Friday nights. Like the Mac will play whenever, whenever they could get out there, get on television, get in front of some people. What does it mean to you that, you know, people wanted to have that Mac attack back? It's, it's it's huge. I mean, it's people want football every day, and and give a lot of credit for or for the for the NBA and Major League Baseball and NHL and and now college football of making making 
making it happen. And, and people people wanted it. People the, from the fans to the coaches to more, most importantly the players and the doctors and everyone. It took a definitely took a village to get it back. And uh, and it was it's fun because it's Maxion's coming back. I mean, our first game's on a Wednesday night. Our first three games I think are on Wednesday night. So uh, it's going to be coming soon. And and the more football we've been watching it on the weekends. And I know there's been games postponed for the safety, which is the most important thing and uh but for every two games canceled there's there's 40 some games played you know and those those 80 teams get to play a game and unfortunately they have to reschedule some and i'm sure that's going to continue to happen and, and for the right reasons uh but the guys that are the teams that are healthy are able to, to do what they love to do yeah you know and, and for you in in the mid-american uh, speaking here with tim lester western michigan broncos head coach you know, to, to look at this, I mean, the Akron Zips, Bowling Green Falcons, the Buffalo Bulls, Kent State Golden Flashes, Miami of Ohio Redhawks, the Ohio Bobcats, Ball State Cardinals, Central Michigan Chippewas, Eastern Michigan Eagles, Northern Illinois Huskies, the Toledo Rockets, and, and you, the Western Michigan Broncos. To see this all back at it, I'm looking at the schedule right now. Uh, you have the Akron Zips. You'll be playing up against Toledo uh, in your second game, then Central Michigan, then Northern Illinois. Then you'll have uh, Eastern Michigan. You'll end the uh, the regular season against Ball State. Six games. Bring me into the schedule. You know, normally you're playing 12, so it's half of the season, but it's still a season. What can you say about, you know, looking at the schedule and what you have ahead of you? Well, we're excited. I mean, obviously the biggest games of the year for us are our five divisional games, and instead of three crossovers, we're only going to get one. Uh, we'll be in week one, and we, we get to go down to Akron. So, uh, you know, those are the big games. Those are the ones that decide who gets to go to the MAC championship game. And, and it's always nice to have the warm-up games and to play the non-conference games. Obviously, we're supposed to play Syracuse this year. We're supposed to play Notre Dame this year. Uh, so we, we miss out on some of those. But, the you know, our goal at the beginning of the year is to win a MAC championship, and, and that's still alive. And uh, some of the other things aren't alive anymore, but the main goal is still there. And, uh, you know, and you have to find a way to be ready to go. You know, you, you can't have – your first game, you know, look like uh, a game one, you know, so we've, I've been on the phone with a ton of coaches that have had to deal with the same stuff we're dealing with and how did they get to the point to get their team ready to play. And, and so we, we definitely, this training camp is different than any training camp we've ever had. And obviously with the testing going on and with school being going on during training camp, it's everything is different and our team has responded. They've been doing a good job and, and you know, we've, we've been, trying to get ready for game one knowing that we need to be in midseason form because we're the for game one's a conference game and uh and that puts a lot of pressure on us and, and we're, we're happy to to have a chance to play in a, in a conference game at all so uh so we've been we've been hitting we've been you know it's important that we do think we've done more live football than we ever have done before because we have to make sure that we we get the bumps and bruises out and we're, we're ready to play come come week one we still got about three weeks to go but i, I really like where our team's at you know, and for you to kind of get everything get to, together and, you know, being off, being on, you know, being on, you know, this back and forth and whatnot, how have you as a, as a coach tried to make sure that the guys had the playbook, knew what they needed to know, that you know what you need to know about, you know, your depth chart and, and putting everybody together? Bring me into that of, of your preparation as a coach because things have been so fluid. How have you implemented your game plan and, and how have you tried to assess your depth chart? with a few weeks to go. 
Yeah, and that's probably the most unique thing. Well, two, two things that are the most unique about that, well, the two from a football perspective is, number one, because of all the virtual meetings and everything they've allowed us to do over the summertime, uh, we are we started our first day of training camp with everything installed already. We had gone through it. We threw it in the summer once and then again in the summer, and then we started having walkthroughs in July when we were here together. Uh, right before we started training camp, uh, we, we got canceled, and then we were still able to do some things together and keep the install going. So it's really unique to have practice one with everything in. I mean, we had done tight red zone. We had done two-minute drill. We had done, like, everyone knows everything. So it's made for a really cool uh, training camp as far as being able to get right in and start playing. Uh, because everything, because of the meetings and the amount of meetings they gave us, uh, we're ready to go mentally. It's the physical part and the repetition part that we're trying to catch up on. And we've never been in a training camp where you have players at different conditioning levels, you know. And normally, when you when your strength coach hands you a team by by the end of the summer, I mean, everyone's in shape. Uh, and and it wasn't the same this year. Some guys were in shape, some guys weren't in shape, and and so we've been, you know, thank God for we have these you know, GPS units that we use on our players that help us scientifically understand who's in shape, who's not in shape. We've shortened practices. We have certain longer practices to get them in shape because we have to get them in shape while playing football, which is rarity. You know, normally when when you get them, they're ready. And uh, so we've had to make some adjustments, but the repetition is key. And getting the guys the reps that they need, getting the young kids reps that they need. The young kids have an advantage because they should know what's going on with all these virtual meetings. Uh, they just have to have to play enough to get the game to slow down. So, um, so it has been. It's been a challenge. It's been exciting. Uh, some of the freshmen are closer to playing than they've ever been because they know what's going on. They've been in meetings since June. Uh, we've we've done so many installs. Less time on the field, more time in the meeting room. So they know what's going on. We just need to get them in shape and, and get them the reps that they need uh, to be ready to go and play and help us. That coming from the man, Tim Lester, this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, uh, former Syracuse offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and uh, current head coach of the Western Michigan Broncos. You were, as you alluded to, had the opportunity uh, in a regular season. You were supposed to be playing Syracuse as one of your non-conference games. Uh, You have played up against Syracuse, did it last season uh, in Syracuse, and that game 52-33 on the side of Syracuse. As a former quarterback, as a quarterback's coach, as a man who knows the position and knows it well, and as the man who brought in Eric Dungy to Syracuse, what can you tell me about being on the other side as a head coach, and what do you see on film from Tommy DeVito, who you know obviously is going through an injury right now, but there's there's been some issues with you know what what I see to be his vision on the field, uh, kind of dropping back and already de- already deciding where he was going to go to. Uh, timing hasn't been down and whatnot. You have been able to obviously uh, try and scheme against him and prepare as the coach on the other side. What do you see from Tommy DeVito on film? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing with him is just the – and I haven't I haven't got to watch him a ton this year. Uh, we knew going into the game last year, and unfortunately for us, we were we put a brand-new defense in, and, and I think we gave up 50 in two of our first four games. And by the end of the year, we were uh, one of our top defenses in, the, in our league, you know. And, and so we, we knew that with that system 
coach coach Babers has an unbelievable system and, and and all the checks that they make you make and they got us a couple times he really beat us with his feet you know we were trying to get we we're going to try to take away his first or second read and make him go through a progression and we thought that was the thing that was going to give us an advantage and he did he got out he ran he had two or three big runs against us made a couple big throws um and that's always the hardest thing with, with that offensive system, you know, is, is trying to figure out, you know, with all the difference, with the speed that it's happening, um, you know, that they're, they're a timing-based, speed-based team. And when they're clicking, they're really, really hard to beat. And, and that was the one thing we were going to struggle with with young, young defects, being able to keep up with the pace and let him have his first read a couple times. And, and, that, and that's when you really got – that's when we got behind the eight ball. We got to the point – I think it was in the fourth quarter, down seven with the ball, drove down, and offensively we, we couldn't we couldn't tie the game, you know, and that was a great opportunity to get to that situation. And I think they scored one late, but uh, you know we had to get him to get to make him go through a progression. And I know with this time off, a uh, timing offense, I've seen a lot of those wide open spread offenses that you know they haven't had the amount of reps that they need to get the timing down. Uh, when you're playing that fast, it has to all be in, in rhythm. And I saw Eric have that rhythm when we played him when Eric was still in, in uh, and they had the whole summer and the whole training camp to get ready. So I know it's been difficult on those offenses. I mean, I watched, uh, you know, the the Mike Leach offense the first week be unstoppable. They had their rhythm going, and then they struggled the next week. I think they only scored two last week. So with that offense, there's so much timing. You just need to be out there practicing, and that's one thing we haven't gotten. Uh, and that's what we're trying to catch up on as much as possible. We're trying to keep their legs fresh and get a lot of ton of reps, and that's a very fine line. And it's been uh, it's been harder on those teams that uh, that haven't had the practice because you have to all be on point when you're going that fast. And if you face a defense that can keep up with you mentally, then they can still force a quarterback to have to go through a progression, and that's hard for any quarterback. As a former quarterback and, and as somebody who knows the position very well, going back and looking at the film of Tommy from, from the game last season and just watching him in general, uh, speaking on Tommy DeVito, from a quarterback to a quarterback, how would you describe his strengths and weaknesses? What do you see on the film from an analytical standpoint? Well, I think he's got a great arm. He's got plenty of arm strength. Seems to be very accurate. Um, he's got better feet, I think, than people think. Uh, and then, and, and at that point, it, it makes him no different than any other quarterback because he needs to he needs to mature in the position to go through a progression and get to three and four consistently, and make sure that all the fans at home don't even know that he just got to his third or fourth read. Uh, in fact, we just got off the practice field, and my guy got to his fourth read today on one. It was the biggest play of the game our scrimmage we were going through a check down and, and, and second and 15 and got us to third and one because he found his back and uh and that's really the maturation process and like i said i haven't seen him play this year and that, that was the one thing we wanted to make him do and uh you know and unfortunately we didn't get the job done they went so fast that close and moon he made some great throws to his first read in his progression every time because we knew we knew he could do that, and he did it and, and used his feet to beat us a couple times. And um, you know, and that's going to be the biggest part of any quarterbacks is, is the progression from year one to year two to year three. You know, I was a four-year starter and was terrible my first year. I got better my second year, and once the game slows down, it's easier to get through those progressions. And some guys mature through that, and some guys don't. And uh, and that's like I said, I haven't seen him play this year, but that was the point when we played him last year. We wanted to try to force him to do that, and we, we didn't get the job done. There were too many, too many first first option, 
you know, coverages where he got man coverage and was able to get rid of it quick. And, and we know he can put it on point when he when he gets there. And, and that's the and I don't know their offense and I don't know the ins and outs. So, uh, but as he gets to that point, he he needs to be able to get through that progression to have success, especially success, especially at that level. How quickly should a quarterback, in your opinion, be able to survey the field and have his vision? And and check all these reads and like you said, people not people at home to not know that he's going to his third option or his fourth option or whatever it may be. How quickly does a quarterback have to see the field? You know, it, it, and every guy's a little bit different, and a lot of it comes down to how well they they progress and how much film they watch. You know, who kind of crazy anal they are about getting to know the defense they're playing. Uh, because there, there's a thing in quarterback called elimination. So when you get up there and you see the coverage and you you pretty much, before you even take the ball in your hand, you're like, okay, one's not going to be there by this coverage. I'll take a peek at two, and it probably doesn't have a good shot, and I'm going to get to three and four. And all of a sudden he drops back, he peeks two, it's not there. He goes to three, four, and it's thrown on time to a fourth receiver in a progression because he was able to eliminate one and probably eliminate two as well by leverage because he did so much film study that he didn't have to waste his time looking at one and looking at two by the time you get to three if you didn't eliminate anybody you're probably sacked or scrambling and running for your life so that that's uh, that's really the point where i see those guys that are really 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 into it and really really into the film study uh you know david blau my quarterback at uh, purdue is unbelievable at that and, and obviously he's playing in the league now and doing a good job and uh you know he he was just he was like a coach you know, and, and that was what helped him develop as his, through his college career. And then there's other guys that, that don't progress. And then, then normally you have the young kid that comes in and beats them, beats them out. You know, you got to give him a chance at some point. So, uh, you know, that's the development. That's the focus for these quarterbacks. You know, I have a, a true, I have a young quarterback playing this year. Um, he's his third year in the program. He played as a true freshman when our starter got hurt. Played okay. Redshirted last year when my quarterback was a senior. And so he's in his third year, but his first year starting. And that's all I've been talking to him about. We spent a ton of COVID virtual hours watching film together and asking him, what do you see? What would you eliminate on this play? Where do you think you'd go on this play? And then we'd watch the play come out. And if, if you can get a guy that's that committed, uh, then they can they can build themselves to be a great quarterback, you know. And that's that's the but that's the progression that has to happen. It's not physical; it's a mental and a studying thing to make sure that you continue to develop as you get to be a sophomore, junior, senior in college. Speaking here with Tim Lester this morning on on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. When a quarterback is not progressing, or when we're not seeing, you know, these these steps in the right direction. How much do you put it on a quarterback coach? How much do you put it on the the offense maybe not fitting the quarterback? How much do you put it on them? You know, with you having to go through the progression as a player and then you having to coach that, you know, as a quarterback's coach and now as a head coach, uh, how much do you put on the coaching staff? How much do you put on a player? How much do you put on the scheme when things aren't working? Yeah, it's hard because you know the. I mean, the scheme's been developed over years, and the scheme works. There's, there's nothing with that. But there, there's so many factors that I think that's the key with quarterback coaches. You see so many great quarterback coaches that play the position that understand offensive line matters a ton. You know, yeah. uh, your receivers matter a ton. Uh, your running game matters a ton, and so there's so many factors. 
you know, I always, obviously there's, we're in the world of, of quarterbacks leaving and going other places and, and, and a lot of position players leaving and going other places. And I always talk to them about making sure they find the place, you know, when I have a receiver that wants to go somewhere. Sometimes you're like, Hey, make sure you go to a place that can run the ball that has a quarterback that's played. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not surrounded with the players that you need, you're, it's going to be really hard for you to have success. And so, so there's just, you gotta, you gotta figure out what the factors are and make sure that the quarterback is aware of those factors. Like, Hey, our own line. I love talking to our backup quarterbacks when they're in there with our backup offensive line against the one defense. Because it's the greatest teaching tool ever. It's like, hey, you not only have to do your job, but you have to do it faster than ever before. Because you know we're not going to hold up long up there, you know. And I haven't seen the O line play, and I haven't seen the receivers. I haven't watched one Syracuse game, so I don't know where they're at. But, but there are a lot of factors in there that, uh, once again, I think communication is key. That the quarterback has to know what his strengths and weaknesses are. And yes, coaches can call games around their around their personnel. You know, when you have a good running game, when you don't have a good running game, when you have a stoked receiver, and can you can you find ways to get that guy the ball? So th- those are where I think the coaches, you know, really can earn their money when they know how to make tweaks in their offense to hopefully cover up the weaknesses of the players. Uh, the quarterback, let's be honest, the quarterback can't be weak. He can't be. He has to be great. And then, but you can a great quarterback can make. Uh, average receiver is better if you're if your own line's average you can seven man protect or make sure you're getting you know calling the things and that can get rid of the ball quicker so all those little adjustments i mean we had a really unique year my last year at syracuse only because you know we took over and we were at the 120th i think in the country in offense and our goal was to get to 60 to cut it in half and we knew we had a young quarterback we had a young offensive line and we had a lot of we, we knew the the strengths and, and weaknesses of our of our team. So, you know, and we were able to cut it in half, which is great. Um, but it, it had to be a, a calculated approach on what things within our offensive scheme uh, work with our O line and which ones work with our receivers. And and so that's that's where the coaches can have a say once they're honest about where the real issues are, if it's at wideout, if it's at the running game, if it's the O-line. And once you figure those things out, then you have to then change your offense and call certain plays maybe more than you normally do so that you're putting your players, right, wrong, or different, whether they're all ACC players or not, uh, you have to try to get them in the best position of the success on Saturday. And in a couple of years, I knew Eric was going to be unbelievable. And, and a couple of those other young offensive linemen were going to be unbelievable. But at that point, they weren't. And uh, so you have to call a game, you know, to give yourself the best chance to win on that Saturday. And someday you can just line up and throw your normal offense out there and you'll have the players to do it. But that really happens in the first three or four years of a of a coach's opportunity somewhere. Uh, so in the meantime, you got to find ways to, to win games and be in games. And um, and that's, it was fun to watch that what, four or five years after we recruited that class that won 10 games. I was rooting for it. Was, it was fun to watch them that year because that was, that was the team that you really had. These guys were going to be pretty darn good, and they were, and I, and I was happy for those guys that year. Eric Dungey, you recruited him. You are responsible for that. You said, Scott, you know, speaking on Scott Shaver, keep that spot, you know, keep the spot open for my guy. Uh, you and I talked about him uh, kind of, you know, like under the wraps. You're like, hey, yeah, I remember talking to you. I remember the parking lot I was in on the phone with you when you were like, hey, I got this guy, Eric Dungy. You got to see the film on him. Love this guy. You got to check him out. Got to check out the film. 
Danny's going to be good. Like, I remember the conversation we had about that when you're like, you know, and you're flying out to Oregon every single, you know, legal NCAA chance you got. You brought him in, okay? You you did it. So I say to people all the time, 10-3 and season, thank Tim Lester. You like Eric Dungy? Thank Tim Lester. I mean, you bonded with that family. You gave them you gave them uh, a sense of a security blanket for him to come from the West Coast to the East Coast. I told fans over and over and over again in his last season, love him while he's here. You're going to miss him when he's gone. Don't make the mistake of not appreciating him until it's too late. But fans did. Not everybody, but some did. And I got messages last year like crazy. Oh, my God, Dan, we miss him. What's you know? What can we do without him? He should be on the Mount Rushmore of Syracuse quarterbacks. You know, does he have another year of eligibility? We were wrong. And, ha- and I said, listen, I told you guys what to do. You didn't listen to me. You didn't heed the call. Not everybody did. What can you say about the Eric Dungy factor? First and foremost, I know you're a humble guy, but I give all the credit in the world to you because you stayed on this man and you brought him to Syracuse and he brought Syracuse a lot of big time moments that they hadn't seen in 19 years, 17 years, 20 years when it came to the wins that they had and everything that they did. So kudos to you for bringing in Eric Dungy. And what can you say about the fact that People really didn't appreciate it, and now I'm getting all I hear for the last two years is God, I wish Dungey was here. Well, he is a special kid and a special player, and, and most special players are special people, you know. And, and when we were looking for a quarterback, and I was looking all over the country for one, and and, and Shafe was thinking about taking one, and, and and once once I hit it off with Eric, I I, I, I was pretty darn sure we had something special, and because he was tough, and he was still skinny, and he was going to grow into his body. And I knew he was going to put the time and effort in. And, and I actually told him when we got let go, I mean, I brought him in and sat down. And I know Dino's offense, and it's fantastic for a guy like him. I mean, he fitted perfectly. And I said, hey, this is going to be great for you. Here comes a guy that runs a high-tempo, fast offense. Athletic quarterbacks can only make it better. I was like, you need to learn it. You you have a chance to put up phenomenal numbers here, you know. And uh and kind of try to build him up to keep his confidence up. Because when you recruit a kid and you coach a kid, you care about the kid, whether you're coaching him or not, you know. And, I mean, he was in a room last year in the Dome hanging out before the game, you know. And uh, it was great to see him, and, and we got to sit down and talk a little bit. And, and so, uh, so yeah, it was it was a – it was a special time and a special kid, and and we we went against him and you know we tried to tackle him. He ran over us, and it was fun. He kept say running by the sideline and saying something to me and laughing, and because uh, he's such a competitor. And and like I said, in all offenses, but especially that offense, I mean, you need to have a great quarterback. Great, not good, great. And if you have a great one, uh, there's nothing that can stop you. And uh, and, and and they had a great one. And I, I, you know, I was funny because we heard when we played him a couple years ago, we heard, I read some articles about, you know, is Dungey going to get beat out? And I, I didn't read one of them. I, I didn't read a one of them because there was no way that was going to happen. One, if you know the person. Two, if you know quarterback play. Eric was playing, period, the end. And, uh, and so, you know, anytime you turn quarterbacks over, it's really, really difficult, especially when you're coming from a guy that could do so many things. His legs made up for a lot of things yeah. and, and and he was special and people don't give give him enough credit for that part of of, um, of being able to make a bad play into a good play you know there's so many things about offense that you have to have positive plays 
and he made some plays that probably would have been sacks, turned them into uh, second and five, second and eight, instead of second and fifteens. And 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 he knew it, and he knew what he brought to the table, and and he took some hits, unfortunately. And I did everything in my power, even in high school, I tried to get him to stop jumping over people, uh, <laughs> and, and he didn't want to listen. He flipped. I mean, he got flipped on his head a couple times in high school. You know, on, on third and eighteen, he went for a ten yard run, and he was eight yards short, and he still jumped over the guy, and. Um, but that was the heart of the kid, you know, and so, so it was great. I'm glad Shafe let me take him, and 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 he obviously came in, and I knew once when they hired Dino, I knew that fit was going to be great uh, for what they were going to do, and then some of the young wideouts they had around them, and then they got a couple guys that transferred in, and and uh, I, I knew they had a chance to be special, and, and uh, it was fun to watch him have his year, and we could, we continue to communicate today, and uh, but finally. It's hard, you know, and, and you got to know what you're looking for, and, and you don't find them all the time. There's years there just isn't one out there, you know, and uh, so when you find them, you got to you got to get them, you know, because they they don't they don't just come as I think everyone knows they don't just come along, and the coaches and the coordinators and the system gets a lot of credit when you have a guy like that, and uh, and then you don't have them, and then then all the pressure's on. You know, and that's and that's happens everywhere, not just there, everywhere. And um, you know, we're doing it right now. We had a great quarterback last year, and and now we got to prove that we can we can get the next one ready to go. And that's hard to do when you had to have a one like one like him. You're, there's going to be a drop off for sure. Can you lean on your run game more? Can what can you do until you get this next guy oiled up uh, to be ready to be nearly as good as as Eric? And that's really hard to do. It is. You know, he was the super glue to the broken play. And, you know, I, I think I think people know it now if they didn't know it before. Uh, Tim, in closing here, before I let you go, uh, how different, like you said, uh, Dino's offense, it fit Eric. But obviously, you know, there's different quarterbacks. I see Tommy more of like, stand, you know, more of a slow, get in the huddle, uh, a slow, you know, slow pace kind of methodical type of quarterback, a pro style quarterback that's maybe a square peg round hole uh, situation right now. What can you say about the offense as far as what you were running at Syracuse? How different is Dino Baber's offense? And are there any parallels to what you had, you know, just what you can say offensively to kind of go into it? Because they, they you know, stamped it orange is the new fast. And obviously it, it doesn't look like that without uh, Eric Dungy. So how different is the offense to what you were running at Syracuse? And how would you describe it? I mean, we were, we were much more West Coast. You know, uh, then we were much more like, I'm trying to think of a team, an NFL version. Uh, we were much more like what you see, probably the the Rams, you know, and a lot, I'd say a little bit Kansas City. You know, no one really truly, other than maybe the Cardinals over there in Arizona that runs the true air raid fast Baylor. Um, so it, a lot of the concepts are the same. The speed is the key. And, and when you have speed like that, uh, the processing power of the quarterback has to be phenomenal. And if you have uh, a quarterback that can process and move his feet, uh, like a De'Ara King, uh, which I've always loved him at Houston, because he could process, he could play fast, and he had his feet to even bail him out if he if he pre... You know, my guy, I like having my quarterback at the line of scrimmage, and I like to have 15 to 20, 30 seconds to look at the defense and try to 
maneuver the defense, move the defense, figure out what they're in, put a plan together and attack it. So uh, I would say that uh, the major difference between a true air raid and the West Coast is really just tempo. They're a lot, doing a lot of the same things, uh, but the quarterback won't have as much pressure on him uh, when he has more time. You know, time is everything uh, at the line of scrimmage. And every split second, every false step that a defender makes that gives you information on what they're about to do is huge. And and, and it's the, the air raid is just faster. I mean, really fast. And uh, and if you can, if your guy can process that fast and your team can process that fast, your whole line can process that fast, then, then you can have you can have a lot of success with it and you got to have that, that right guy, you know, whereas I think the West coast, you rely on the run game a little bit. Uh, we always felt like, you know, being in the ACC and at that point, not having the best talent in the ACC that, that we had to run the ball. We had to control the clock. We had to get in the fourth quarter in a close game. Um, and so we, we were running very similar, but just not nearly as fast. And hopefully, you know, quarterback had a little bit more time at the line of scrimmage and we wanted to take pressure off the quarterback uh and, and that's one thing about the the air raid that the west coast you know you guys like if you have a running game which a lot of them do uh it takes a ton of pressure off these quarterbacks you know and uh and when you don't have a great running game uh then and the air raid there's some teams that run it well in the air raid, not a ton uh it's all it's all in the quarterback i mean there's no other way it's it's you get to snap the ball and it's yours because you're going to throw it 70 times. And if you play well, we win. If you don't play well, we lose. Um, and that's hard to do that on Saturday, every single Saturday. So, um, you know, that's probably the biggest thing is, is relying on the run game and being able to. Now, the great thing is you have a dome. So at home games, you never got to worry about weather. You can you can run that that wide open fast. I love it. And it's a great place to do it. Um but the run, the run game part is just something else. As a quarterback guy, I'm always trying to find ways to make it easier because we all know it's the hardest position out there. You're always trying to find every edge to make it a little bit easier. And, and that's one thing that, that our offense, you know, we played Clemson that year. And, uh, Eric was hurt, and we rushed for like 250. And we hung in there. I think we lost by 7 or 10. or uh, It was the year they won the whole thing. But it was, we got the run game going, and that took a lot of pressure off Mahoney. And... Uh, and it, it gave us a chance to stay in the game. And, and so that's the, the versatility, I think, of, of a West Coast offense is something that can help a quarterback, whereas the the, the wide-open West Coast, I mean, you can score 80, 90 points, which is fun to watch, uh, but that, that guy with the, tr- the trigger man has got to be on because it's, it's going to be on him every time. So it's good and bad with both. Um, I've, been a chance, I've had a chance to coach both, which is kind of fun, um, but I'm obviously a quarterback guy, so I, I love to run the ball and take pressure off of him. He's going to have to make plays regardless. I just don't need him to make 70 plays. I'm hoping 35 to 40 is enough. It's coming from Tim Lester. Makes a lot of sense, and I love the analysis of it all. Really gives us a lot. How much do you know about Rex Culpepper and you know what he can potentially be to this team? Well, the one thing about Rex that I always thought was unique in in recruiting him, and I, I didn't finish recruiting, I started the process, but didn't finish, was is the is his running ability. You know, kind of like a Tebow. I always thought of him like a big, strong, physical, uh, where you could you could alter your offense a little bit uh, and and do some things with him in the running game. You know, and, and I never got to be around him in the processing. I never got to coach him. I never got to see how smart he is. I never got to see him go through a progression or adjust to a rolled coverage. I, I didn't get to see any of that because uh, I never got to coach him. But in looking at him early on, 
you know, every guy has different strengths. And, and I just thought with his body, his strength, his size, speed, uh, there's some things that, that we could do with him, you know, because of the athletic ability um, that, that, would, that would make it hard. You know, because all of a sudden we, we really didn't run Eric much. We didn't want to run Eric. We ran when we had to. Uh, and I thought we could do the same thing with uh, with Wax. He was a smart kid. Never got up. I think he got one. I never got a B in his life. I think it was his sister or brother that got one B. Everyone in the family never got a B in their life. And uh, and so I knew he was serious about it and was going to focus on it. And uh, But that's where I, I felt I never got to see it because I never got to work with him. But I was really looking forward to seeing what kind of things we could do. And, and I was going to watch a bunch of Tebow film and watch some of the things he did because Florida did a lot of good stuff with him because he had ability to take some hits and keep getting up when you're that big and that strong. And uh, and I felt Eric would get there eventually, too. I coach him at 185, not 220. Uh but uh, but I really felt Rhett's had a chance to do that. But I haven't, you know, I haven't really. I said hi to him, and you know, before the game, and he looks great. But uh, I haven't had a chance to really watch uh, where he's at as a quarterback right now. Yeah, coming from Tim Lester, uh, Tim. Last thing here, Western Michigan. You got three seasons there: six and six, seven and six, and seven and six as well. Two bowl games in three years at your alma mater. This is your fourth stint with. Western Michigan, what can you tell me about your number four, and what have you learned from the first three? Well, it's been frustrating. I mean, we haven't been able to close out. You know, last year we were, you know, we the last game of the year, we had a chance to win it, and we, we didn't play well. You know, I thought uh, the biggest thing we've been trying to build since I got here, I got here, I don't know, a couple, a week or two before the signing date, so the first year of recruiting wasn't really up to wasn't a great class and then we really put together a couple good classes together and watching our defense go from 10th in the league to second in the league last year was huge for us they're all back uh i really think that's where we needed to build this thing i think people thought i was crazy coming in as a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator saying we need to build a defense uh we need to be stout on defense we need to be able to hold teams down and, and put good players on the defensive side of the ball and and uh and it's happened you know the last eight games we've had our defense has been holding people under 20 points and and they're all back and we had an all-american linebacker and uh we had a couple transfers come in so i'm I'm excited to watch our defense play offensively we got everyone back we just got to replace the quarterback got a good running game got some really talented wide receivers i would love to be a young quarterback with this group around them with the defense so uh but that's been the biggest challenge you know, we had to outscore people in the first two years, and and then last year our defense really stepped up and, and kind of grew into their own. And uh, we had a new defensive coordinator last year. Like I said, we gave up 50, I think, two of our first four games. And and then by the end we were holding people at 14, 10, 17. And, and so I'm really excited about this team. You know, if uh, I think we have a complete team. We have, we you know, my first year we had all freshmen, snapper, kicker, punter, and now they're all juniors. And so uh, I, I think we're the most complete team we've had and, and we can win we can win on offense we can win on defense our special teams going to be solid so uh, it took it took a couple years to get to that we've been fighting trying to outscore people and i really think now that uh, we have a chance to get over the hump we've been one point away two years ago from going to the championship game one point away last year from going to a championship game uh, team scored on the last play to, to, to hold us from going to the championship game so it's frustrating when you watch two teams play in the championship game that you beat by 17 so both and uh and that's and that's our fault and we need to fix that and and it's a it's a chip on our shoulder and, and we're gonna go out there and we get another chance to try to fix it this year that coming from tim lester former syracuse oc as well as quarterbacks coach 
as well as the current head coach going into year number four with the Western Michigan Broncos of the MAC. Tim, as always, above all things, I appreciate our friendship. Always appreciate your analysis. And I can tell you on my behalf that I miss you like crazy up here in Syracuse. So <laughs> I always look forward to time living there i loved it there and, and i appreciate you uh having me on and i uh, wish you the best man we'll talk soon absolutely so do your best out there stay safe and we'll talk soon thank you take care